Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome to the Autzen Audibles podcast, your Monday edition. I'm Matt Prem, Jared Mack on the show with me. No Eric this week. He's on vacation. Uh, so he'll be back next week and he'll be in charge of fielding the mailbag questions next week. But until then, we've got a mailbag. We've got questions uh, and we've got a wide range uh, of, of topics here because it's kind of that weird one of two p- periods of time where basically everything is in play football, basketball, baseball, softball, uh, recruiting, all of it all at once. And we're going to dive into a lot of those topics on the show. Um, Jared, first up is right up into your wheelhouse because it was opening weekend. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a good weekend for Oregon baseball. Comes from Nash uh, Duckaneer. Great start to the baseball season for Oregon. Where do you see the team climbing in the next rankings update and why? Always thank you for all your great coverage of Oregon Athletics. Um, Grant, I'm going to also throw in a part here for Grant. Catch us up to speed on the importance of the weekend because I did see you tweet out something like, first time in a long time the program accomplished something. Yeah, it was it was a good weekend for Oregon baseball. Um, for those who are unfamiliar, they went four and zero. Clean sweep of Xavier this weekend. Uh, Oregon Diamond Sports um, had some positivity this weekend. Now there wasn't a lot of positivity regarding Oregon athletics, um, but they combined to go nine and zero baseball and softball. So softball obviously went five and zero. Oregon uh, baseball went four and zero. Good good wins for the Ducks. Uh, you know, walk off on opening day, had a good comeback on Sunday. And then the doubleheader was um, pretty decisive, pretty Oregon favored, pretty heavy. Uh, but in terms of answering the question on the ranking, um, it's not going to move up probably at all. And uh, D1 Baseball, who's like more or less like the official NCAA baseball news uh, conglomerate that covers NCAA baseball, they have Oregon at 25th to start the year. And now they are still at 25th. And the reason there's not much of a change is because instead of there being 20 something games in college basketball, there are 50 to 60 something games for college baseball. So winning four games to start the season is great. You always want to do that. You know, obviously you want to lose as little as possible, but unless you, you know, unless you're Oregon and you go defeated, you lose all four games to Xavier, who's a quality opponent, nothing great, nothing bad. Um, you're not going to really move up and down. I mean, Tennessee lost to, to Grand Canyon um, and to one other school, and they they moved from second in the country to third in the country, even though they started the season one and two. So 
there's not going to be sharp declines or sharp increases that often in college baseball um, unless you're shoot like an unranked team who's kind of on the bubble and then you go and beat like a top four team in the country three times in a row, then you might see a big increase in rankings. But overall for Oregon, um, they're just going to keep trying to steady the ship. Um, they see UC Santa Barbara uh, in Santa Barbara next weekend. Um, so that should be a good series. Um, but in terms of in terms of rankings, I think, I think the highest they'll go is maybe up to like 19, maybe 20, keep in that area. It's just not going to be that big of a jump right now. Now we should note um, next on the schedule for Oregon baseball is a road trip, right? Yep. Like I said, yeah, UC Santa Barbara. Yeah, and then and then they come back uh, next week against San Diego. And the women's side, you briefly mentioned it. I guess we should throw that out there. The softball team, um, there's a story from Jackson Nuggle on Duck Territory dot com about it uh they went five and oh in the campbell cartier classic um wins over utah valley uc riverside Loyola marymount and san diego state and now um this weekend the marionetta collegiate classic i don't know why i said collegiate um in cathedral city california uh bigger names cal state fullerton northwestern florida missouri iowa state that will be a good showing um for them and they'll be the, the softball team is is out of town basically until middle of March. I was surprised the Jared the uh, the men had a had a home opener in February. Uh, maybe that's just why are you surprised? Under my radar, uh, just the weather. I mean, I'm just so used to softball like being gone for the first six weeks of the season. Um, I was I just pleasantly yeah, surprised that baseball was here. Second or third week in February. That's always when it's been. That's always when it will be. That's why they have a uh, turf field at PK Park other than the mound because, yeah, it's going to rain. But, um, you know, like the team says, like the coaching staff will yell out in a rainy practice. It's 75 and sunny. You know, you got to embrace it. Yeah, we did get good weather this weekend in Eugene. So that's mm-hmm. that's always nice, always important. All right, let's uh, move to the next question here um, from Jesse Keller. What is Oregon's top targets in the 2024 recruiting class for football? What gaps will we need to fill after next year? Let's start there. The gaps that need to be filled um, by Oregon for the 2024 recruiting class. I I think um, the most obvious one, and tell me if I'm wrong here, Jared, is Bo Nix at at the quarterback spot. Like that – that's going to be the question. So that would be like also kind of the first you know spot you look at from a recruiting perspective of can you go out and can you find a, a top player? And the top player for Oregon would, would be Dylan Rayola from Pinnacle, Arizona, who I think he recently just transferred to a SoCal school in the Los Angeles area. Um, Michael Van Buren's a four-star from Maryland that's been on campus a couple times. Um, they've offered um, Luke Moga, a three-star from Sunny Slope in high school in Phoenix. Uh, he was on campus recently. But the biggest need right now is quarterback. And, it, and the replacement, like, would you be more surprised if the replacement comes from Ty Thompson, uh, Austin Novasad, or a prep guy signed? Or would you be more surprised if they went out and went portal? 
I almost think Portal is probably the play. Portal is the answer. It's the biggest concern on the roster going into 2024, but Portal is the answer because, uh, you know, unless Ty, unless Bo Nix gets hurt and Ty Thompson shows himself for a couple of games this next season, there's nothing really um, in the history to make me feel comfortable with him going into the season as the full-time starter, even though I do like Ty quite a bit. And then Austin Novosad is just a true freshman. Um, he's a guy who needs to add weight. He, he's a guy that is going to need in-game experience. There's a lot there that is clearly going to be the biggest hole in the roster, and they should go portal. And even if they were, let's hypothetically, were to, were to land Dylan Rayola, it wouldn't really matter. He's still a true freshman. Unless he can come in and instantly compete and instantly be better, like a Trevor Lawrence or maybe a Justin Fields type of player, um, which I'm not saying he can't be, but you need to go look in the portal. You need to go look at a disgruntled former five-star quarterback who um, maybe has been passed up in the depth chart ranking like this probably will never happen but you look at a school i don't know like texas you know quinnieris arch manning maybe arch is that guy maybe he is the real deal maybe he comes in and you know replaces quinn and then quinn is a disgruntled five star so you look at it like that um i just go into the prep ranking yeah sure you want to add a quarterback every class but you, i don't think you're going to find um oregon's lord and savior in the class of 24. Now, beyond that, offensively, I think maybe the next biggest one could be Troy Franklin. Like, it wouldn't be a surprise if Franklin goes pro. Um, mm-hmm. Or or is it Bucky Irving? Because there's a good chance Bucky's gone after next season. But you have Noah Whittington on the roster. But I also wouldn't be surprised if Noah Whittington goes pro, too. Like, if he kind of yeah. has the same year that, that he had this past season and Oregon has – similar season or a slightly better year like i i could see a scenario where we're both running backs for oregon um go pro because they they play a lot they get a lot of touches um good chance both guys have big seasons um it, it feels like at least offensively from a, a holes perspective um it's going to be more of the skill positions that need you know big holes like the offensive line you know, you, you've got Stephen Jones and um, Angelau is going to be a senior, but you still have Connerly Jr. You still have Jackson Powers mm-hmm. Johnson. Johnny Cornelius has two years of eligibility. Like your core should still be intact, even if, um, even when Jones and Angelau uh, graduate. Yeah, skill positions is definitely the biggest hole. I think if I had to pick, I'm not. I, I mean, I think I'd go with Bucky Irving. Uh, over Troy Franklin, yeah. I don't know why. It's just that's just the name I'm going to pick here. Um, I think there's a big, there's a huge gap between even Bucky and Noah, and you know those listeners know that I really like Noah Whittington, even though there's some, you know, hatred between the fan base for Noah Whittington <laughs> and the fact that they don't think he's as good as Byron Cardwell. And it's clear that if he was, Byron would have played and Noah would have sat the bench. But I digress. Um, Bucky's really good, and you know he if he has a similar season, he can work himself into probably a day two draft pick, like a second or third round guy, just because of his his talent. Um, this is going against everything I've said about running backs, where the only good thing about a running back is a good offensive line. Um, but for Troy Franklin, I think there are going to be more options in the transfer portal at at wide receiver than there would be at running back in terms of that kind of elite talent. Um, another name just to keep an eye on uh terrence ferguson could go and if terrence ferguson leaves you suddenly have one tight end on the roster and 
sorry for the listeners who are hearing me blab on about tight end depth for yet another podcast, probably like the eighth <laughs> in the row at this point. But that would be bad. You know, Patrick Herbert has his opportunity to leave as well, just either graduate and be done or go seek NFL or pro opportunities. But, you know, Ferguson is a, is a different type of tight end, um, great pass catcher, someone that could pretty much be used anywhere across the league if he gets into physical shape and showcases his talents again this season. Uh, I think that's a potential hole to watch because then you just have Kenyon Sadiq left. But, uh, yeah, like you said, all skill position guys. Feel good about the offensive line, but um, there needs to be – there's probably going to be a big overhaul on the skill position people um, at the end of the season next year. Now, at running back, Oregon is a player for Jason Brown. He's a top 50 recruit in the country. Um, he's from Seattle, Washington. So he's been on campus multiple times. Uh, it's a guy that's got higher interest in the Oregon Ducks. Um, and then there's a couple other guys further down the list that I would I would say, like, we definitively know Oregon's in a good position for. Uh, Xayshon Edwards, uh, running back from Clear Springs, three-star running back. He's been on campus out of Oregon. Cameron Jones, a really big running back from St. John Bob. St. John Bosco, 6'2", 220. Um, he's another player that uh, has a lot of interest in Oregon at the running back position. And then at receiver, they've already kind of, a, you know, address the potential need here. They've, they've landed a couple verbal commitments. Um, Tysir Denmark and Jordan Anderson, both guys, top 100 prospects, and they're in good position uh, for a host of others. Um, mm -hmm. Locally, guys nearby, Malachi Durant, a receiver out of um, Graham, Washington, Chase Farrell from Southern California, Jack Wrestler from Southern California, uh, Ken Zondia Johnson from Arizona. Uh, and then they've got some bigger names like five-star Ryan Wingo, from Missouri, uh, Ryan Pillum, uh, nephew of the former Oregon assistant coach Don Pillum. He's a top 50 player from Long Beach, California. So, you know, receiver, I I don't I don't foresee them having problems signing players from you know that position group and being high profile players. Uh, the interesting one is, is probably like you said, tight end and. They've got a commitment from AJ Pugliano, a four-star kid from the state of Oregon. But you're right. Like even if even if Ferguson doesn't go pro, I almost think they should sign two here. Yeah, I mean this is the same. We would if Ferguson doesn't go, we are suddenly in the same exact predicament as we are in right now, which is they have yep. three tight ends and they need some more. And then add in Pugliano. That makes it four, that makes it fine. But again, the same reason that I've been vouching for more tight ends um, is the same reason you would need them next year. You can't truly rely on a, a true freshman or two to immediately become important players on the roster. I mean, Ferguson and Maliki Madabao did it pretty well, but even still, there were a lot of growing pains there. And um, thankfully, Oregon never threw the ball, so you never got to see them. But um, I, again, I, I still think that that's a need, a position that they need to address going into 24 and certainly going into 23. Um, I'm more interested on the, the holes in the defensive side of the yeah. ball. I think those could be pretty, pretty impactful. Uh, Oregon's defensive line has a lot of seniors or a, a lot of six year guys, fifth year guys, whatever you want to call them. Funa, Casey Rogers. I think Keon where Hudson is able to go. Um, basically, they're too deep. Taki Taimani, Jordan Birch, uh, Brandon Dorless. Um, 
anybody else that's on that. Popo, Popo is gone as well. Um, so that's a lot of guys. And now, you know, going through this, and this is what happened before, but um, you could see why Oregon went out and got 10 defensive linemen in this last recruiting cycle because they're going to need every single one of them in 2024, and they're going to need a couple guys to show up and perform as true freshmen in 2023. Um, but another you know, cornerback's always going to be a position of constant cycling, but they've addressed that in 23. And then lastly, safety. Safety, well, I went into last season saying that four of the six safeties could be gone. Um, only one of them left. So they got got back three in Brian Addison, Steve Stevens, and Jamal Hill. Um, well, same thing. All three of those guys who came back can now leave. Evan Williams, a transfer, can leave. I think Taishim Johnson, if he has a really good season, could leave as well, the old Miss transfer. Um, so that's another huge position to need, and um, it'll be interesting to see Again, how Oregon goes through that, whether going through the 24 class or going through the transfer portal. Yeah, just some names to know um, defensive line-wise. Uh, this is where I think a lot of the bigger high – I shouldn't say high profile. The higher-ranked kids early on right now have kind of emerged. Like a Roger mm -hmm. Rushing, a five-star edge player from Tucson, is high on Oregon, is expected to be on campus. Oregon's already got a verbal commitment from Jackson Jones a four-star edge player from Yuma, California. Um, they're in there for uh, Williams Nuwani, uh, a five-star top 10 player defensive lineman from Missouri. Nigel Smith from Texas is a top 40 player um, that's been on campus already for Oregon uh, and, and is high on the Ducks. And then you look at other positions like linebacker. Justin Williams is a top 40 player. He, he's been yeah. on campus multiple times, is high on Oregon. Dylan Williams is a Long Beach Poly kid uh, that's high on Oregon, four-star player, uh, almost in the top 100. Braden Platt is a top 300 player, another four-star linebacker. He's been at Oregon a, a bunch of times. Uh, and then, you know, defensive back-wise, there's a lot of guys. Um, and it, I don't feel like there's been one or two that definitively stand out above the rest. Um, but – from like a, a likelihood that now Oregon could get them, but there's a ton and they're from the West coast. They're from the Pacific Northwest. They're from Texas. They're mm -hmm. from the Midwest. Um, this is where a lot of names are going to come that I think have uh, those four star and maybe even five star rankings for Oregon. And, it, and you're right. Like the defense could see, especially up front, a massive, influx of new talent next season uh next season being the 2024 year and you're almost i i almost kind of think that like they're gonna they're gonna try and sign some top guys from from a high school or juco perspective but there's probably gonna be a little bit bigger blend than you would maybe think at this point in the year of portal guys adding instant impact type players to, to the defense just because of the, the amount of players that could be gone up front uh, in the front seven, basically the entire defense. Yeah. I, they're going to need, a, you know, I don't want to swear. They're going to need a, a, a stuff ton of transfer <laughs> portal additions because yeah, like we went through, it's going to be basically the whole defense or at least the starters. Um, they'll all have the opportunity to leave. Some guys will be forced to leave like Popo and Brandon Dorless. 
Um, other guys will, you know, eventually decide to return or decide to go go pro or just decide that they're done with going to school, and that's totally fine. I un completely understand that way. Um, but yeah, they're going to need a lot of guys, and I think it's going to be a similar number to what Oregon brought in this season in terms of bringing in like 38 to 40 players. Um, we'll go through all the scholarship hell and all the scholarship math the next season. So, you know, set your clocks for 10 months from now. We'll be talking about scholarship math, but it'll be necessary. And um, I think some of what Oregon has done in the 2023 class is very reflective of what they're looking at at 2024, which is always a smart thing to do. I think a lot of programs do that. Um, I worry about recruiting a safety. I don't know if there's a lot of safeties that are primarily on the West Coast that Oregon is going to go after. Um, it's just going to be tough, especially after Peyton Woodyard committed to Georgia. And Georgia has uh, two of the top four safeties in the country committed yeah. to their class and the number one cornerback. So they're doing fine. Um, that, to me, seems like a position that you hit the transfer portal in especially after Oregon's recruitment at cornerback, where they've done very well with Pleasant, Austin, the Jaleels. I mean, Avante Dickerson wasn't Dan Lanning's guy, but he was a top 130 recruit in the country. Um, you still would have Bridges and Manning potentially for another year where they can just battle it out again. Um, and maybe Kyrie Jackson, I don't know what, what year he is in school, but cornerback I feel good about in terms of just their depth, but safety is one where I don't think just recruiting prep players is going to cut it. I think they'll need to hit the transfer portal and probably hit it pretty hard um, when you're potentially losing like three three starters and two of your backup guys, depending on what their decision is. So uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. I know we're already like we're already trying to just look forward to 23, and here we are talking about 24. Um, but, <laughs> that's that's yeah. college football recruiting and fandom, and it, it's in it. hundred percent right there. Hundred percent, yeah. You're but, always looking forward to next year. Always, yeah. And but you know, you got to get through this season first. So I, I think regardless though, it'll be a good time. I think the the overall the class of 24, I think is really good. Um, I think it's much different than what this previous class was, where it was really top heavy, top heavy with quarterbacks. Um, I think the position talent and in the class of 24 is really impressive. So that'll be helpful for Oregon too. But that goes back to our leading in question of they need to hit the court. They need to hit the portal for transfer for a quarterback. Yep. All right. Let's take a quick break. Uh, and when we come back, we'll dive into some men's and women's basketball questions that have been fielded as well. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. 
post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, welcome back to the Odson Audible's podcast. Uh, Matt Prem and Jared Mack here. Um, next question comes from Connor Pacific Northwest. Um, when was the last time you saw both Oregon basketball teams, men and women, having this bad of a season simultaneously? Uh, it, it's been a while um, because mm-hmm. – the women as of late have been maybe the the better team than the men. Um, and then when the women really kind of got going um, in like 2000, like 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014 seasons, they were kind of floating right around 500. And the men, that's when they were gearing up for – uh, they won the Pac-12 one year. They made it to the Sweet 16. And then a couple of years later, they made it to the Elite Eight as a one seed. And then they made it to the Final Four. And then Sabrina and that group showed up that next year. And um, everything kind of kind of fell into place here. Um, so it, it's been a while. It's been over a decade. And it feels unnatural. It feels weird to – we're recording this podcast on February 20th. Mm-hmm. And the the women currently are 14 and 13, and they've lost something like eight games in a row. It's seven. Um, yeah. Seven in a row, and nine of their last 10, which is just mind boggling to think about. Yeah. And yeah. the men are on a three game losing streak, and they're 13 and 12. Uh, they're, you know, I think they're 13 and uh, 10, 11 on the season now. And both programs are spinning out from the NCAA tournament. And it's a weird, it's a weird vibe. And unfortunately, I don't think either team now is going to make the tournament. No. And, you know, we've been saying that for the last three weeks that both teams aren't going to make the tournament yet bracketologists for some reason just keep putting them in the tournament. I don't think either team have earned the right to even think about sniffing the tournament at this point. Um, You know, the women's team losing seven in a row. I get it. The Pac-12 is really talented and their net rating is still really high. You can't lose seven in a row. You can't sit on the season and, and excuse me if you hear the sirens in the background, there's some big police chase going on as usual, (laughs) but you can't lose seven in a row and think that you deserve to be in the tournament. It's just as simple as that. And especially when you have winnable games, uh, same thing with the men's team. It seems like nine out of 10 losses for the men have been really close. It's been a one possession game late. Um, you know, everybody, every team gets blown out every once in a while. There's not really, you know, there's not really anything to say about that. It happens. Um, especially when you play Arizona or UCLA, but there were opportunities in, you know, the second UCLA game that Oregon was really close for a while. And then Jaime Hawkins just took over um, for the women's team. There, there's been so many instances where they go into the fourth quarter, taking a lead or go into halftime with the lead. And then it just falls over. Um, they just really struggle to finish those games. And I think that both teams kind of have similar essences of this season where they just have really struggled to maintain a lead, uh, maintain a win, um, find any sort of chemistry on the court that, you know, 
makes them play nice basketball. I mean, it's just really tough to watch both teams for a long period of time. Um, just the, the the lack of of passing, the lack of team chemistry, the lack of a good looking offense for a long time or long portions of the game. It's tough, and I know we've been saying on the podcast the last couple of weeks that they aren't going to be in the tournament. And you know, like I said, bracketologists keep putting it back in. At this point, it's got to be over. I mean, I haven't looked at the bracketology so. for either men's or women, but it's got to be over at this point. Or the both teams have had so many chances to put themselves in a nice position for the tournament, and they've they haven't done it. They haven't done it at all. So ESPN still says um, the door is open the tiniest bit, but it's closing fast. And this comes after the Washington State loss. Um, They have to basically – I'm trying to read this, but they have to win in Vegas now, essentially. And not win the tournament, but they've got to basically win at least one, maybe two games, depending upon where they they land in the the standings. Reading ESPN's bubble watch analysis for Oregon, which doesn't make any sense in my head. Because I – look, I I got called out for it uh, ahead of the Washington State game saying, like, yeah, this is the next – this is like the 23rd must-win game in the situation. But it's like – it it was true. Like, they continued to sit in these games where they have to win. And for whatever reason, the margin just kept slightly getting, you know, cut in half or not, you know, slightly cut a little bit. But after that Washington State game, I, I was like, they're, they're done. Like, there's no more chances. They don't play anyone that's above a quad three game. But ESPN continues to say that there's the tiniest door, but I don't, I don't believe it um, for, for the men's I think, side. Yeah. I, I, I was just going to say, I think that's more of like, um, a status of how poor college basketball is this year. Yeah. Like no one's good. And the fact that Oregon still has a chance here at 15 and 13 indicates as such that nobody is, is freaking good in college basketball this year. Um, so yeah, there's a little, there's a chance, but I even hate saying that there's a chance because it, it doesn't feel just, like it. No 15 and 13 team this late in the season should have any chance, regardless if it's Oregon or if it's UNC Wilmington. It, there's there's no way that they should have a chance. Like what is what has Oregon done at 15 and, and 13 that is better than a USC team that's 19 and 8 or a Utah team that's 17 and 11 um, or nothing? A Sun Devil team that's 19 and 9. Like I guess. I get Oregon's beat beat Utah and USC, but like those teams have far better records than Oregon does. And it just doesn't make sense why Oregon is considered in the same sphere of those schools. But you're right. Like it just tells you just uh, the level of basketball right now is down um, across the country, not just at Oregon. If if Oregon is in play still. Um, Last question comes from Nash Duckaneer. Uh, or not, not Nash second year. I just read the wrong one. Um, <laughs> B. Fatif, uh, Bryce Fatif, um, what do you do for next year's men's basketball roster? That's, I, I think, look, we could do an entire podcast on that question alone because mm-hmm. we don't, there's so many open variables that we don't know yet. Who is back? Like, there's one player that we know definitively 
cannot come back to Oregon, and that's Will Richardson. Everybody else, and follow Dante, Quincy Guerrier, Jermaine Kuznard, Rivaldo Sorez, uh, Luke Were, all of these guys, Keyshawn Bartholomew, Killa Ware, all these guys could come back. Whether it's their COVID year or they've got extra years of eligibility still left. Um, what does Kalel Ware do? Uh, obviously, this has been a disappointing season for Kalel Ware and the expectations that were placed upon him as a five-star. But he's still, as of last week, projected as a first-round NBA draft pick. Does he go pro? Does he say, I need another year of college basketball, but I don't want to do it at Oregon? I don't, we don't know that answer. Does he say, I want to do it at Oregon? We don't know that answer. Um, does Quincy Guerrier say, I don't want to go to the NBA yet. I want to play another year of college basketball, but I got benched at Oregon. My minutes have dipped. My role has changed since I've arrived, and I want to play my basketball closer to Canada, where I'm from, and you know, find more playing time. What does Brennan Rigsby, a guy that was playing a ton when he got healthy at the middle part of the year, is now struggling to find minutes? Does he look, you know, there's going to be roster turnover. We just don't know what it is. So what we do know is Will Richardson's gone, and we do mm-hmm. know that they've signed one of the best classes in school history, one of the best classes in the country, uh, with three players who are all ranked inside the top 35 nationally. Kwame Evans, a five-star power forward, the 14th best player in the country. Moki Cook, a five-star small forward, the 25th best player in the country. And Jackson Shellstead a point guard, four-star, 31st best player in the country, almost a five-star. So Oregon almost has three five-stars coming in. Two of them legit right now. One of them, Jackson, is pushing to try and get into that that ranking level. Um, so Will's out, and those three freshmen are in. But, Jared, call me crazy. I don't think all three of these guys solve Oregon's problems next season. And No, not at all. Maybe they can, but that's – that's a very tough ask for three freshmen at this high, at the highest level of college basketball to, to expect them to do. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, it's kind of what Kentucky does every single season and sometimes it works and you have, yeah, exactly. And then sometimes it works though. I mean, they have, when you have elite talent coming in, sometimes it is just elite talent and it comes in and, and it does well, but what separated Oregon's elite talent coming in is they haven't been polished other than bowl bowl. And Bull was so unbelievably offensively polished that you know, he was 21-9 and nine a night before his injury. And that would have been a very interesting team to watch because Lou King also was pretty polished coming in, and he had a good uh, Pac-12 run. But I digress. Uh, K.J. Edmonds and Mookie are gifted athletes. They're, they're high basketball IQ, IQ guys. They will fit really well in the Dana Altman system. They're not really polished offensively. You can't ask either one of them to come in their first season at Oregon and get like 15 to 18 points a night like other five-star freshmen come in, uh, like Cam Whitmore or somebody like that. Or um, Mike uh, Baylor has a freshman um, whose name is is off the top of my head right now. I can't think of it even though I love watching him play. Um, but Jackson Shellstad is a guy who's much more offensively polished than – Keontae George, that's it. Baylor, he's really good. I really like watching him play. Jackson Shellstead is a guy who can come in and, and is more polished and someone who could probably take over the point guard position. Um, you know, he's had an, an unbelievable senior season in West Lynn this year. But what Oregon needs to do 
And I've seen this a little bit on the message board. So don't don't call me a copier. They need to add some freaking shooting, man. They need to get somebody who can just knock down shots. They need somebody whose only job on the basketball court is to make a three-pointer because they have no one who can do that right now, not a soul. Jermaine Kuznard has a good shot. I like it. It doesn't go in as often as it needs to. Keyshawn Bartholomew is really hit or miss. Will Richardson in losses this season is shooting 35% from three-point land, which is just unbelievable compared to what he was uh, just a few seasons ago where he was hitting like 48 or 49% of his threes. Um, so he's not reliable, plus he never takes them. Uh, there's Quincy Gurria is another guy who just isn't great from behind the arc. But Oregon, when they were good, had spacing. Peyton Pritchard was a shooter. Anthony Mathis was a shooter. Chris Duarte was a shooter. Uh, even you want to push it back even more. Casey Benson was a shooter. These guys were shooters. They can space the floor and give a big man their time to work with the ball down low. That's why Nafali Dante struggles with turnovers because when he passes to somebody on the perimeter, no one there to shoot. No one there that the defense has to respect so they can bring double or triple teams every single time. Um, none of the three freshmen are going to be knockdown shooters. It's just pretty simple. So they need to look in the transfer portal pretty hard to find just a knockdown guy. And I'm, I feel comfortable with Jackson Selstad if he comes in and Dana says, hey, you're going to be the point guard this year. That's fine. I feel comfortable with that. It could be Keyshawn if he decides to say or it could be Jermaine. But I'm fine with Jackson coming in and doing that. They just need to put somebody whose job is to only shoot and maybe play a little bit of defense. And that's – they need that bad. They need that like they need air to breathe right now because there's nothing out there on the floor. Yeah, I – I, I think the move here is we're going to have to see what happens in the spring from a roster fallout, what what scholarships mm -hmm. open, because they don't have any. They, they're full right now. So they're going to need players to either go pro or transfer. Um, and you're right. I, and I don't think it really matters if it's, hey, we find this transfer portal combo guard that's six foot three and is can play point and can, can play shooting guard, or if it's a, a six, seven, you know, hybrid power forward, small forward type guy that shoots 44% from threes. If he's like a three and D type guy, it doesn't really matter what position it is. They just need a shooter. And I think the, the hot topic is, well, what does, or does Oregon add Bronny James? Does Oregon go and, and get another four-star player? How can they say no to Bronny James? Like the, Bronny James individually, you would absolutely love to have, but it is, would you rather have Bronny James, another freshman who has not played at this level before and isn't viewed while LeBron James wants him to be as like a bonafide top 10 pick next year, um, guaranteed, or would you rather go and find a college transfer that's played at this level before? Maybe he's like a, a summit league all conference shooting guard mm -hmm. and like an Anthony Mathis. And for one year, you know, like, Hey, over three years, this guy shot 39% on three pointers at, at the high level. We know it's transferable. We know it's going to happen. He knows the grind of college basketball, or would you rather rest that pressure of adding the shooter on a freshman, whether that's Bronny James or whether that's, they find somebody else. I don't know who they would find, but so that's why I, if, if Oregon adds Bronny James, they need, they need two roster spots because they need to find a portal guy first, and then they can go and add Bronny James to the mix. 
Don't you think they'll have more than just two roster spots open, though, with how many guys yeah. could leave? Yeah. I mean, I when mean, was the last time they only had two roster spots? There's four or five guys turning over almost every year now. Oh, I agree. I, I agree. Um, I, I would think, look, I don't like doing this, but look, Tyrone Williams, he doesn't play a lot. And he was a high-profile junior college guy. He's from Philadelphia. Kalel Ware, his freshman season, was it whether he goes pro or maybe he entertains a transfer back close home to Arkansas. Um, and then, you know, Brennan Rigsby, another guy that, you know, does he want to wait? Like we haven't seen – this isn't the normal thing anymore where a sophomore shows up and is willing to sit for a year and then sees a little expanded role as a junior. Um, we kind of listed off the guys earlier, but – no, like I, I think there's a good likelihood that those three or a combo of those three aren't on the roster next season. Um, mm-hmm. And that could be the entry point. And then you also see transfers from unexpected ways. You know, we've, we've yeah. seen it before. Frank Kepnog last year. Um, we, we've seen um, Miles Norris a couple of years ago when it was like he was playing. He had a path. The to one the that court. got away. The one mm-hmm. that got away. Uh, yeah. You know, so maybe – that happens with somebody else on the team. Maybe in Folly Dante, I mean, I'm, I'm just speculating here, but maybe in Folly Dante says, I want to go somewhere and a different for a year. Like we saw Travis die for Oregon football. Like, yeah. hey, I've given four years. I've, I've, I've played my best. I've been a, a good student. I've been a good basketball player on and off the court. I've represented the university well. I've graduated. I want something new. That happens. Mm-hmm. Maybe that happens with the basketball team. I don't know. But you are right. There will be probably more than two spots, but let's end it with this question. It's like, I don't think they need more than nine guys. Like when they look at their roster and say, this is our rotation, no more than nine. If you get beyond that, whoever that 10th guy is, that 11th guy is that 12th or 13th guy, they better understand that. Hey, you're probably not going to play every night. You're probably going to redshirt, or this is going to be a future, you know, an ad for you down the road, but, this coming season, minutes are going to be very slim. I agree with you. I mean, that's how I would run a team. But I don't know. I look at the women's team, and they really only have nine scholarship players. And if someone goes down, and right now during the season, they are gassed. And they are really are not. have They don't have any energy. They have some injuries, but they don't have the depth to deal with any of that. So I am now cautious about only carrying just like nine scholarship dudes. Um, I think you want to have a good bench. I mean, it's a, a Oregon for the men's side. It's a little unfair this season because of all the injuries. You didn't really get to see them right. with like trying to maintain depth or trying to maintain a rotation in early parts of the year with all like 11 or 12 people. Um, so you kind of look at it now and they're really, you know, they've, they've kind of dwindled down their rotation here of quite a bit, um, including, you know, yesterday against Washington state, but, it's tough. I mean, I think I would still want 11 or 12 guys. I think I would still want nearly all of scholarships taken. Um, you need some development guys. You need people who aren't going to just leave after year one. Um, and honestly, I think it, I, I think Oregon needs to go after different mentalities of players. Um, I think this is kind of the case for the women's team, too. I think the COVID year of scouting kind of got everybody crossed up. And I think this is why you see such a a weird season in college basketball where all of those players are now sophomores um, or, you know, or 
were redshirt freshmen and now are playing meaningful minutes. And then it's like, oh, well, maybe this player isn't as good as we once anticipated because the lack of scouting, the lack of competition during high school. But um, I think it'll be interesting. I mean, I, going back to the Bronny question before, and it's like that tacos commercial. It's like, why can't I have both where I get the <laughs> – the whack player of the year and I get Bronny James at the same time. Um, I think if you're Oregon, I know Bronny would be mostly for posterity's sake where, you know, you, maybe you get LeBron to come to Matthew Knight arena and you get all that good stuff. Cause Le- Bronny James is fine. He's a good basketball player, but he's nothing. He's no program altering on the court. Um, but then, yeah, you want somebody like an Anthony Mathis specifically shooting, but you want somebody with that maturity. You want somebody with that, uh, experience in playing college basketball and the ups and downs of a season, but I would also like Ronnie James. It'd be pretty cool. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the star power alone, if you had Ronnie James with the current class that they've signed, um, Eugene would have NBA scouts, GMs running through the Matthew Nat Arena doors every single day. Um, mm-hmm. I would think Matt Nat Arena would have a lot of fans, at least early on in the season see how this team plays out. Um, and there'd be a lot of eyeballs. That would be certainly fun to see. Um, but we'll see what happens there. We'll see what happens, what ads uh, both the men and the women make um, here this coming off season, which is potentially about a couple weeks away. We'll see what happens, um, unfortunately. But that's going to do it for us here on this edition of the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for submitting your questions. We'll be back later this week for another show. But until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.